Thank you, Jesus. I want to bring your attention tonight to one more of our, uh, of our commandments, commandment number five, and it's Exodus chapter 20, verse 12. Now, let me just say quickly also, I deeply appreciate all the labor and all the work that, uh, uh, that the folks involved in VBS have put in to this, uh, to this outreach effort. It's a monumental, monumental task, I know. It, it, is, it, is, it comes with a lot of work. And uh, we deeply appreciate everyone who has taken time to come down there and, uh, and, and, and invest in souls. And I'll tell you what, I don't know if you've seen it down there, but if you get a chance this week before they take it all down, take a look at what's down. It is, it is fantastic. It's really good. And Sister Tremea, hands off, hats off to you and your crew. And let's give them a round of applause as well. I'm impressed. Praise God. And... Uh, we're expecting great things. The next Sunday morning, we'll have a special VBS closing out service. We'd we look forward to having the parents of those kids that will be coming as well. So let's put on our, our best front and our, and our best smile, hallelujah, and our best foot forward, as we would say. And, uh, and let's be ready to greet all those uh, newcomers, uh, parents that would come. Amen. Praise the Lord. All right. Exodus chapter 20, verse 12. Honor thy father and thy mother, that thy days may be long upon the land which the Lord thy God giveth thee. Amen. Honor thy father and thy mother. And we want to talk tonight a little bit about this fifth commandment. Hallelujah. Honor your father and mother. Lord, we thank you for your word. Your word, O oh Lord God, is a lamp under our feet and a light unto our pathway. And we pray, O oh God, that you would lead us and guide us, anoint us, word now, to the hearing, O oh Lord God, of, of your precious word. And let us sink deep down in us and help us, O oh Lord, to walk in this path. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen. God bless you. You may be seated. Thank you for coming to Bible study tonight. I want to do a quick review again of where we are. Uh, you have a handout. And I hope you have a pen. If you don't, raise your hand. Maybe one of us just can help you out and get you one. Uh, you should come with pen and, or pencil or paper already in hand. Uh, or maybe a stylus that goes along with your pad. Amen. Hallelujah. I don't care if it's shorthand or longhand. Whatever it takes, sometimes it's good to take notes. But you have that handout, and that should help you to stay on task and uh, to fill in the blanks. And a lot of it. A lot of this information tonight will be before you. Amen. Hallelujah. So, in review so far, we've covered four commandments. The first four commands have to do with our relationship to God. The first four focuses on our relationship to God. Commandment number one was, thou shalt have no other gods before me. Means to honor God as the only God and to make him first in our life. Then number two was thou shalt not make unto thee any graven image, calling us to honor God by lifting him up above all, all others that call themselves God. And even those things that are not God's per se, but those things that we, we put before God, make him above all, number one. Number three, thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. It's honoring God with our lips. Not using his name uh, uh, in vain and neither using our lips to curse and using his name to curse. Uh, and uh, that is a no-no. Commandment number four is remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. It's honoring God with our time. It's the, uh, uh, it's the commodity of our life and our living. And uh, God expects us to honor him with our time. Now, the next six commands after these first four deals with our relationship with our fellow man. Number five is honor thy father and mother. We read it. It's to honor our parents, and this expresses concern for your family. And then number six will be thou shalt not kill. Really, the translation is not appropriate. It's not per se to kill. It's thou shalt not murder. It has to do with premeditation. And we'll discuss that when we come to that subject later. Uh, thou shalt not commit murder. Um, and this has to do with the respect uh, and, and the sanctity of human life. And it concerns man's life. And commandment number seven says, Thou shalt not commit adultery. 
It concerns honoring your spouse and others, uh, family, uh, basically saying don't cheat. And commandment number eight is thou shalt not steal. It's having respect for others' property. It's honoring society and other people's belongings. Commandment number nine will be thou shalt not bear false witness against thy neighbor. It concerns man's word and character. Never lie. And commandment number 10 is thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's house, wife, manservant, maidservant, his ox, his ass, nor anything that is thy neighbor's. It concerns man's desires and man's security. Never covet, never desire what somebody else has to the point that you're going to cross the line and you're going to commit immorality and immoral deeds and, 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 and kill somebody, heaven forbid, to lie and to cheat on them to just get to get what they have. Amen. But tonight, we're focusing on commandment number five, first of the last six commands that focuses again on our relationship with man, which, with each other. Hallelujah. Praise God. And so uh, the family first, that is the, 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 the emphasis of this particular command. Family first. The family is of vital importance for we see that the family was the first institution formed upon the earth. An institution by definition is any structure or mechanism of social order and cooperation governing the behavior of a set of individuals within a given community. The words to that are in your notes and that fill in the blanks and you notice that word institution is what goes at the beginning of that sentence. This definition I look for uh, diligently because, you know, uh, modern-day dictionaries, uh, and when you Google something, at the top is given uh, according to a certain ideological narrative. They, they give a definition that will align with their, their professing of a certain ideology concerning what an institution is and should be. And it's not necessarily the correct definition. So I look for the more older definitions, not the more modern definitions. Now I would encourage you to do the same, and especially when you're, uh, when you're helping your, your, your students if they're in school to, to do research and you Google something, you look up something online, be careful what reference you use to define a certain word because you'll find that, that somehow very quickly and very easily uh, people in the technical world are slipping in their, their slant, their bias, and their prejudice, and their line of political and social thinking to manipulate your thinking and, above all, your children's thinking. And I got this definition from definitions.net, a British uh, conglomerate from overseas, and not from a U.S. Uh, 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 dictionary uh, company. Amen. But institution, again, it's any structure, think about it, or mechanism of social order, meaning people, how they order their lives, and cooperation governing the behavior of a set of individuals within a given community. That's what an institution is. And the family is that very first institution. God creating a man and a woman and, and with children is the first institution. And this is why many times when I perform a wedding, I bring out this point that, that a family, that marriage is the very first institution that God ever formed or ordained. And it precedes human government. It precedes the church. It has precedence and primacy in a lot of ways. And its precedence is very, very important to society. It should be. So when God created a civilized society, we see that he did not create a committee of men and women to accomplish this task. He did not create a congress of 435 men and women to come up with the right rules and the laws that would fit his design. He didn't leave a group of people to their thinking as to what society should be like and how it should be governed. He did not create 100 senators to help them accomplish the task. And he did not create a Supreme Court. He didn't need them to give wisdom and guidance to mankind 
in how to order and structure the institution that he established. Nor did he create a dictator that he would dictate by fiat and say, this is the way it's going to be. Even God, when he laid down the rules, he laid it down knowing that man had free will to obey or disobey. But we'll see why God did it out of the love of his heart and his concern for humanity. But we see that in the beginning, God created a family. First, he created a man, Adam, and then he created Eve, the first woman. And then they had two children, Cain and Abel. And this was the very first family. Adam lived 930 years, the Bible tells us in Genesis 5, 4 and 5. 930 years of begat Seth and had other sons and daughters. Now, if Adam and Eve lived that long, and if they had one child every year, even one every other year, that's at least 450 people just from them. That's a lot of folks to begin society with. But it all began with a single couple. It came from a man and a woman, from a husband and a wife. It didn't come from two men. It didn't come from two women. It didn't come from children. It came from a male and female. And so many of our, found, of our politicians today, and I know many of them are trying their best to preserve our traditional family values. Uh, and they're trying to do it without any reference to the Bible. But can I tell you, the Bible is our source for these traditional moral values and our views about marriage. And it's important to refer to the Bible for you and I, but I'm looking how sheepish our politicians are who try to defend this and they say they're Christians, how sheepish they are to refer to the Word of God because without the Word of God, it is impossible to defend traditional moral values. And we have to come to the conclusion or, or we have to come to the, the, to, to the decision and our leaders have to too. Is the Bible correct or isn't it? Is it true or isn't it? Because if it's not true, then you don't have a leg to stand on. There's, there's no basis for moral legislation. But our founding fathers ordered a constitution and everything that, that, that begets uh, uh, liberty, life, and the pursuit of happiness uh, according to God's Ten Commandments as one of the founders said. And if we abandon that, then our constitution is inadequate to deal with the, the immorality and the sins, and we have to go back to the drawing board and be more specific in, in defining what evil is. Because when our nation was first formed, most of the founders knew what the definition, definition of sin was. In the beginning, our founders knew what the difference was between a man and a woman. They knew what, what marriage was all about. They knew the right definitions for sin. But today, our politicians have forgot, or at least they're neglecting, I don't know. But they're going to have to decide whether the Bible is true or false or right or wrong. Because without it, you cannot defend traditional moral values. And the family is among those subjects. And because, you know, uh, if you don't know the Bible, uh, you can't defend traditional marriage. It's not, you know, some people have not just come around to defining marriage, just it's a social construct. In other words, it was, it was society that decided how, how they were going to relate to one another. And therefore, if society formed this social construction and social institution, then society can change it. But that's a fallacy. That's not true. Because our values and, and the reality of the situation is that we are created by a living God. And there's male and female. And he defined what marriage was and what marriage is. Hallelujah. And you say, well, what about science? Well, yeah, what about science? So science says there's only male and female. There's only the XX and the XY chromosome. There are no in-betweens. There's only one or the other. How about believing real science? And then when you talk about, well, you know, uh, do we really come from, from Adam and Eve? 
You know, years ago, I read an article in USA Today where they were just still working on, on the genome mapping, you know, the mapping the gene of, of, of the human beings. And, and they came, uh, as they're tracing back uh, the genes, they have come to the conclusion that we all come from one man or one woman. And I tried to Google that article today again, in fact, for tonight's lesson. And I come up with some other USA Today articles. And they said, did we, 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 did we really come from Adam and Eve? And really what they're doing is they're scrubbing the information that they printed about 15, 20 years ago. They're not really practicing true science. If it contradicts their philosophical ideology, then they change the science to fit their narrative. And this is why we've got to stick to the word of God and stand on it and proclaim no matter who says, but science says, but we say, but the word of God says, and it is scientifically correct. We are only male and female and science proves it. And your science proves it. Hallelujah. True science proves it. Amen. And so we have to be careful uh, when we talk about science. Uh, even even uh, uh, Paul talks about uh, being aware of, of philosophical ideas and, and, and science, so-called, that people under that guise of science try to pass off to us uh, uh, doctrine that is false and totally contrary uh, to the Bible. And so the Bible is true. It can be trusted. God says that he created the first man or woman. Let that sink deep down into our consciousness. Let that sink deep down in your mind and soul. Because the foundation is, the family is the foundation of all human life and the development that was to follow. That's in your notes. Family is the foundation of all human life and all the development that was to follow. And it is the family that forms community, society, government, and nations. It's not the other way around. It's not nations that form the family. It's not government that form the family. It's the other way around. And even our founding fathers understood this in creating the United States government. And in our founding document, the Declaration of Independence, hallelujah, that we all endowed by created with, with certain inalienable rights. And among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Life, 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 pro-life, not death, life, liberty. Freedom and the pursuit of happiness. Whose happiness? The way the government defines it? No. It's whatever God puts in you according to your talents, your passion, your desires, whatever you want to make of your life. Hallelujah. And government is not supposed to stand in a way, but government is supposed to create institutions to help you to fulfill your dreams and your desires, your pursuit of happiness. And that's why they said in conclusion in that paragraph, in order to secure these rights, governments are instituted among men. Our founding fathers understood this. The purpose of government was to guarantee this right of every individual, amen, to, to pursue happiness, uh, life, and liberty according to the dictates of their conscience. But they're trying to take all that away. And they're actively working against it. And sad to say, they may succeed. But in the meantime, hallelujah, we live by God's Ten Commandments. We know the truth. And, uh, and even though our founding fathers understood this, uh, this is why it's important to, to really know American history and to know the facts, not just the slandered version of it. It's not enough for our men and women to exist. They must become fathers. They must become mothers. and They must give birth to children or else everything is human and, and, and human will actually cease to exist. Human life would stop. Human society would stop. Human government would stop. Because everything rests on that foundation of the family. What if God would have created only all men? Where would the multitudes of billions of people come from? What if God only created all women? Where would we be today? Would we have seven and a half billion people? Huh? People just don't stop and think about these things. Amen. And, uh, and, and hallelujah. That's why we say that 
that the family is so important, the mother, the father, the child, the most important institution is the very foundation of society and the community and the nation. You see how important this commandment is? Honor thy father and thy mother. It's respect for the institution of parenthood. Because as the family goes, so goes the nation. Now look at the condition of our families in America today. And now look at the condition of the nation. Look at the overall broad spectrum of, of families in, in our country. And look at how we stand as a country, as a nation. Very weak in many ways. But the point is that every generation must give attention. Everybody say attention. To the family and strengthen it. Strengthen it if the human race is to survive. And since the very survival of civilization depends upon strong families, we, we would be fools not to do everything we can to strengthen the family and teach children to honor and respect their mother and father and to respect one another as human beings. Why? Because when that's lacking, we self-destruct. That's why we fight against evil in this world and on all that, that is wrong, all that is unbiblical. Why? Because they all work together to destroy us. I'm talking about selfishness, greed, bitterness, revenge, disrespect that, that, that grows and, and, and boils over to hatred and hostility and, and abuse and murder. What do those things do? It kills us. Kills relationships in one another. Immorality, adultery, ungodliness, drugs, alcohol, pornography. What do all those things do? They try to destroy us. You see why God's laws and the Ten Commandments uh, against some of these things and uh, in black and white? And then the New Testament addresses many of these things on how we should live and how we should order our lives in the church and, and not just in the building, but I mean, if you're in the body of Christ, to live a holy life. Why? Because it's the way that guarantees you life and liberty and pursuit of happiness to the degree that no other lifetime, lifestyle affords. It's the best lifestyle. It's not self-destructive. Hallelujah. God wants his very best for us. And so God knows that God reinforces the, the primacy of the family with this great commandment. Honor your father and mother. And each of the Ten Commandments, it, it's really interesting. When you look at them as a whole and individually, you break it down. Each of these Ten Commandments uh, uh, meet a very specific need of man. That has to be met or else man and society will be destroyed. These commandments address very specific needs. It's not just arbitrarily designed by God. Well, these are the rules I make up and eh, no real purpose. It's just because I said so. No, it's not because of that. Yeah, it's based partly on his, uh, 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 on his holy nature. But more than that, uh, it, it's also based on the fact that we have a fallen nature and we have a tendency to self-destruct. Sin does that. And death proves it. The wars prove it. The addictions that kill people prove it. The bitterness, the hatred, the, the riots and wars, all that proves it. And so God is, 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 is compassionate and and. The point is that God loves man and has determined that man must be saved and, and it cannot be destroyed. And therefore, God reaches out to man in giving man the Ten Commandments to govern his life and his community. See how great and how good God is? He gave us his commandment, reaching out. I know you have rebelled against me. I know what sin does, and I know what it will do in your lives, but hear these rules. If you can just set these up and follow them, you will be blessed. I will bless you. You'll have a great life. Your children will be blessed. It's the best thing you can do is to follow these rules.
and the, if the family disintegrated, then all the great virtues of life to keep him from destroying himself would disappear. Honor, respect, concern for one another, bearing responsibility, decency, love, joy, peace. And then there's that true love, joy, and peace. They'll all be destroyed if there was no family because it all begins in that intended loving relationship that God created, that love between a husband and a wife and the love that they have for their own children and that would, would go into their grandchildren, would expand, and it would blend over, bleed over into the, into the community in concern and care and love for their fellow man. But when the rules of engagement break down, when, when people aren't practicing the Ten Commandments, then either they're hurting God or they're hurting their fellow man. And they're putting up walls. They're erecting walls and barricades and, and, and they're, they're, they're building resentment and bitterness and anger. And that doesn't bode well for you and I because it, it'll tend for continual wars in a, among ourselves. And you can't build anything in the middle of war. Go to Ukraine. Try to build a factory now in the middle of a war. You don't build anything in a war unless you go underground. See how important peace is? And how important the Ten Commandments are to preserve and maintain the peace. See how important it is to teach this in school? We used to. The Ten Commandments are present still in many courthouses. You go in many courtrooms, it's there. As I mentioned, it's also there in the the front entranceway in the edifice up there, to the, I don't know what that's not a mosaic or something else. It's a thing uh, in the entranceway on the top of the Supreme Court. Moses in the center with the two tablets of stone and the Ten Commandments. But when the great virtues we're talking about, now we listed some of them, when they're weakened, then the community and society are weakened as well. And that's why the Bible teaches us that as long as men and women and children are to live upon the earth, that we're to honor and obey our parents. That's why Ephesians 6.1, speaking to the church uh, and to Christian children and Christian parents, he's writing to the church, folks. Okay, he's not talking to all husbands and wives and all children. He's talking to children in the church. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor thy father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise, that it may be well with thee, and thou mayest live long on the earth. So I want to spend a few minutes talking about what it means to honor your father and your mother. The Hebrew word for honor is kabed, which re refers to the weight of, of their importance and influence to us. And that's in your, in your Hebrew word. And weight of. And the importance and influence to us. It means to regard and to esteem them highly. That's what honoring your mother and father is. In the literal sense of kabed, the Hebrew word. And simply stated, it means that when we are young... We are to honor our parents by obeying them. And when we are old, we honor our parents by taking care of them. We see the example of Joseph. Uh, Joseph was a young man. He was living at home. He was still a young teenager. Whatever his daddy told him, he did. And that's why one, it's one of the reasons why his brothers hated him. Because he was good at two shoes. Yes, he got the coat of many colors. And yeah, uh, you know, he was the youngest and from the other kids. And, uh, you know, he was favored also because he was born of, of Jacob's favorite mother, favorite wife, rather, okay? And so uh, he was favored more so than it. And also Joseph was, was the youngest one at a time when, 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 uh, when Jacob uh, had that revelation from God or wrestled with God, his name was changed. There's a big change that took place in, in, in Jacob's life when he met God on Mount Peniel before he came back and settled in the promised land. 
And Joseph uh, was that young man that, that did everything his daddy told him to do. And, and he many times uh, had the, the task uh, assigned by his father, go check up on his brothers, tell me everything they do. And he'd take his notebook and take notes and, you know, uh-huh, Reuben, he's doing this. Gad, man, he's doing that. Dad, these guys are up to no good. This is what they did. And he always tattletale on them, and they hated him for it. And then when he got the dreams from God and their intended interpretation, they knew exactly what it was all about. They hated him even more than that. And you know the story. He ended up selling him to Egypt, and then uh, he ended up there for many, many years. They thought he was dead, and uh, the brothers didn't know what happened to him. Really, his dad thought he was dead. But years later, as you know, uh, Joseph came to the a governorship of Egypt, second in command under Pharaoh of Egypt. And, uh, and they came, they reconciled and whatnot. But my point is that when Joseph was young, he always obeyed his daddy. He was subject to him. And when he got old, you find when Jacob came with all his other sons, he came and settled in Egypt because God made provision for that. And what did Joseph do? How did he treat him as a grown-up? He came and bowed down before him as the governor of Egypt out of respect for his elder dad. And then, you know where he put him? He didn't put him in a retirement home. Now, I'm not saying it's wrong. Okay? They didn't have retirement homes back here. They didn't have Social Security. They didn't have welfare programs. They didn't have link cards. They didn't have a society like this. You didn't have grocery stores. You didn't have hospitals. You didn't have doctors. You didn't have lawyers. You didn't have all, well, you had some kind of lawyer. You always had lawyers. <laughs> uh, uh, hallelujah. Where would our secretaries be? A paralegals if, we did, if they weren't any lawyers. But, but there, there he was. And, and, and what, did, what did Joseph do? He put Jacob in the land of Goshen, the best land of Egypt the most fertile, the most productive, the most comfortable, climate-wise, every which way. And that's where the nation of Israel grew to be a nation of one and a half to two and a half million people. But Joseph, as a grown-up, honored his father. How? By caring for him. He cared for him. And it's not just Joseph. We're looking at Jesus. In fact, when you look at uh, Luke chapter 2, and uh, I was just reading that today. Hallelujah. Luke chapter 2. Uh, and I just, I'll just read a few verses. Bear with me. Hallelujah. And right after Jesus was taken to the temple as a young baby, and, you know, they circumcised him, gave him his official name, as the angel proclaimed. And they went back to uh, Nazareth and Galilee in verse 39, verse 40. And the child, speaking of Jesus, grew and waxed strong in spirit, filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was upon him. Now his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of the Passover. And when he was 12 years old, all of a sudden, notice, Scripture, 12 years and two verses. 12 years. And when he was 12 years old, they went up to Jerusalem after the custom of the feast. They went every year. And when they had fulfilled the days as they returned, the child Jesus tarried. He stayed behind in Jerusalem. And Joseph and his mother knew not of it. You know, relatives traveled together in a big group. And, you know, they thought it was with Uncle So-and-so and, uh, you know, Aunt So-and-so, whatever. He's, he's part of the, of the family group here. Well, they couldn't see him for a while, and all of a sudden, they started, where's Jesus? Are they missing him? Verse 44, but they supposing him to have been in the company, yeah, he, company from Nazareth, went a day's journey, and they sought him among their kinfolk and acquaintance. And when they found him not, they turned back again to Jerusalem, seeking him. And it came to pass that after three days, they found him in the temple, sitting in the midst of the doctors, both hearing them, the doctors of the law, that's the ecclesiastical religious leaders, the priests, and found him in the temple, sitting in the midst of the doctors, both hearing him and asking them questions. And all that heard him were astonished at his understanding and answers. And when they saw him, they were all amazed. And his mother said unto him, son, 
Why hast thou thus dealt with us? Behold, thy father and I have sought thee sorrowing. You cause us a lot of grief, Jesus. And he said unto them, How is it thou that ye sought me? Wist ye not, did not you know that I must be about my father's business? And they understood not the saying which he spake unto them. And he went down with them and came to Nazareth, and watch this, and was subject unto them. He submitted himself willingly. He was God in the flesh at age 12 physically, but the eternal spirit divinely. And he went down with them to Nazareth and was subject unto them to give you and I and children today an example. If you want to have, what, favor with God and man, because that was the result, Notice, he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was subject to them, but his mother kept all these sayings in her heart. And Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. How do you get to be in favor with God and man? Stay subject unto the authority over you. You want to be a minister? You want to be used by God? You want his favor? Stay in subjection to the higher power. That God set over you. God in the flesh subjected himself and obeyed his earthly mother and father by choice. When he was younger, he set the example. He obeyed them. He honored his mother and father. And then later on, we see how Jesus cared for her when he hung on a cross. In John chapter 19, verse 26 and 27, we read, When Jesus therefore saw his mother and the disciples standing by whom he loved, that's meaning John. John's talking about himself in the third person. He saith unto his mother, Woman, behold thy son. Then saith he to the disciple, meaning John, Behold thy mother. And from that hour, that disciple took her unto his own home. While Jesus was on the cross, he was not only thinking about you and me. In the midst of his pain and his suffering, he took time to care and to notice for his mother, who was now probably going through a great deal of grief and anguish and suffering emotionally, seeing him on the cross because she gave birth to him. And yet he said, Mom, now I want you to go with John. He's going to care for you. And he did. We see her on the day of Pentecost, thank God. She was there, baptized with the Holy Ghost and fire. That's the last time we hear of Mary. But yet Jesus cared about her enough to make sure that she's there. So the first commandment for this commandment it is wise. It's good because honor for parents is, is, again, it's an essential building block of society. And if the younger generations are constantly at war with the older generations, then the foundations of society will be destroyed. And we know that rebellion is costly. And many, many have paid a high price personally for the rebellion against their parents. Someone said, and I have this quote in your notes, quote, a good child lengthens his parents' days, therefore God promises to lengthen his. And that's why we read in Ephesians, uh, Ephesians 6, 1, children obey your parents of the Lord. But it says, this is the first commandment with promise that may be well with thee, and that thou mayest live long upon the earth. Hallelujah. See, to show respect and reverence and value, to value and esteem parents highly is, is not a popular doctrine today in a modern society, that's for sure, where youth is worshipped and, and old age is, is taught to be dreaded and disdained. Everybody wants to stay young. And yet they set themselves up for a losing battle because you can't stay young. And the result is that both men and women, now they're both straining to remain eternally young. 
to be youthful, at least young-looking, <laughs> only to find that it's really impossible, isn't it? I don't care how much makeup you put on. I don't care what kind of muscle exercises you do. I don't care if you go to a plastic surgeon and have multitudes of facelifts. Eventually, old age is going to catch up with you. You're going to sag everywhere. That's the truth anyhow. Well, hallelujah, that's the truth. And we're trying to fight it day in and day out. Because the image of the world and the commercials and everything, they just stay young. Youth is everything. No, it's not. Young people don't know everything. They think they do. They don't. Especially today. I'm fearful for, the, for this, this, this generation coming up. They don't know beans. They don't know critical thinking. I'm not talking about critical race theory. I'm talking about critical thinking. Deductive reasoning. They're not taught to think. They're taught to obey. They're mindless robots, many of them. And I'm, I'm, I'm fearful of that. That's not God's will. Not God's will. And I'm longing for the days when early education in America it was, you know what? It was uh, Guthrie's primer. Guthrie, what was it? What's the name of that, that primer? Somebody remember? Sister Ruth, you remember that? What is it? Say it loud. McGuffey's, thank you. McGuffey's primer. It was all biblical. And the Bible was the biggest textbook. That was the textbook they used in school. They taught our kids biblical principles. And English language was taught by McGuffey's primer. Hallelujah. All very, very, very biblical. Amen. And so we got, to, we got to look in the Word of God. and We've got to honor, honor parents and understand we're going to get old. And the young generation has to learn to respect and to revere and to honor parents and people of age. That's just the way it is. It's the word of God. Can you say amen? amen. And, uh, and I know it becomes difficult when, when you have parents who, who really weren't good to you. Now, what if your parents weren't good? Well, maybe, maybe your mom and dad abused you or, or he or she walked out on you. And I hope, we all hope that you had the best mom and dad in the world. But that may not be the case. And I know many people who, and in many families, it's not the case. But if you didn't have that in your life, this commandment is still possible to fulfill. Not in a way that you and I would think, but it's still possible to, to obey and to fulfill. See, you can still honor your, your, your abusive parents Perhaps the best way to honor them is by forgiving them. Past one of the best ways to honor parents who were abusive to you is to forgive them. Even if you buried them, even if they're out of your life, forgive them. Deal with that hurt. Your forgiveness, I know, won't make, it won't, it won't right the wrong, but it will help you to be free from unforgiveness. And that's very important. Unforgiveness is cruel and it comes with anger and bitterness that eats you up. You're going to have to come to a place where, you, where you're able to say in prayer, Lord, I forgive them. And would you please forgive them? It may be a tough prayer, but it's the right one. Forgiveness is something that God expects of you and I to, to give to one another, including to your parents who were mean to you and bad to you. And I have to say there are too many of them that fall into that category. And I think we all know too many who are like that. But it also shows us that there are also many who need forgiveness. And God called us to forgive. And I mentioned it before, the example of this young man that, 
that came banging on this door right here one, one year. This probably 15 years ago. Uh, I was in my office over here, and I heard him banging on the door. And he had an abusive alcoholic dad, and, and I spent several hours with him and, and prayed with him. And, and I asked him to pray a prayer of repentance and to forgive his dad. And he could not. He was praying right here. I mean, beads of sweat were pouring off from his head. He's agonizingly saying, I can't. I can't forgive him. And I didn't baptize him. Because he couldn't forgive. See what I'm talking about? Unforgiveness being so cruel and merciless. When you're in a gall of bitterness like that, it eats you up. It destroys your relationship. And, and, and that kind of bitterness was bleeding into his relationship with his girlfriend. And many people coming into new relationships and marriages and so on, they, they bring all the bitterness with them and all the anger. And then they don't even realize when, when they, they start a new relationship that they still got baggage that they've never dealt with. And a lot of it has to do with not, for, not forgiving. I know some people right now who are in a terrible condition because of unforgiveness. I have, I'm closing here with what two short testimonies here, and I want to share this with you. It has to do with, with honoring your parents. Um, this one short story has to do with a Dr. Samuel Johnson. Uh, and thanks to him, we have one of the most renowned English language dictionaries from like 1755 up to about the next 200 years until later on. And, and Amer now this British dictionary and an American dictionary by, by Noel Webster that came on short, well, about 100 years maybe after him. Not even that long. But in any case, uh, this was an incredible dictionary. The Brits loved him. Not only that, uh, many Europeans, they went, when they got his dictionary, uh, it was translated into many languages. It was translated, in fact, into Italian and French. And they had one dictionary that they had the English, the Italian, and the French all on one page, word, 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 per, word per word on the same page. And so he, he was quite an accomplished man. But it didn't start out like that. And listen to his story here as it's told. Listen, before his dictionary caused uh, quite a brouhaha, he was the son of a poor bookseller in Litchfield, England. Each day, Samuel, uh, Samuel's dad carried an armload of books to his booth at the market in Uttercetter, England. But one day, he was feeling uh, too peaky to go to work, uh, but he needed the cash. And his son, Samuel, was old enough to substitute sell for him. So he asked Samuel to go to the market for him that day, and Samuel said no. That probably made for a cumbrous day around the house, but years later, his dad fell ill again, but this time he did not recover. And in 1731, Samuel Johnson's uh, dad died. Samuel was 22 years old. He moved on and moved to London, and in 1755, he compiled the Dictionary of the English Language. It wasn't the first, but it was the most widely used dictionary for 150 years until the Oxford English Dictionary came to town. Oxford means it's a group. It's a whole group of people put that together instead of just one person. It took him seven years to do it, by the way, single-handedly. He had six assistants, only as administrative assistants. He did all the, all the, the work and the compilation, all the meanings and everything, and definitions. So Dr. Samuel Johnson was a, a smashing success, but he could never forget that day when he was a boy and his dad was a bookseller. That regret gnawed on his conscience like a termite on a two-by-four. But he couldn't ask his dad to forgive him. His dad had passed away one rainy day. And Dr. Johnson made his way back to Uttercetter, to the place where his dad's booth stood. And he stood in pouring rain for over an hour without raising an umbrella. They called a bumper shoot. To keep himself dry, he stood as a sign of repentance for dishonoring his dad nearly 50 years earlier. The town was amazed that he remembered or even cared that he told his dad no. And a half century earlier, 50 years before. But he did, 
and they remember his repentance, the town does. For years after, the town of Exeter has celebrated a ceremony called Johnson's Penance. They gather around the monument they built to remember the way he honored his dad, and they tell the story one more time. Honor a little late, but honor nevertheless. Something you can even do, if not, if do nothing else, for something inside of you. Something to settle here. This is why forgiveness is so important. To give it and to receive it. Oh my, we need forgiveness. We need mercy. Hallelujah. We just lift your hands and say, thank you, Lord, for mercy. Thank you, O oh Lord God. We worship and praise you. Thank you for grace and mercy. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Praise the name of the Lord. I have one more testimony to share with you. It's a little bit longer, but please bear with me. Came across a story of this young lady, and it's also in Illinois. Uh, her name was Roseanne. R-O-Z-A-N. Her entire family is Muslim, and someone invited her to a Pentecostal church. She came, and her sister were both baptized in Jesus' name. Rosen kept going back, uh, back to church, but her sister went back to Islam. And here's how she tells the rest of her story. She said, but they soon found out, her family, and I faced a fight as soon as I got home from church. My mom told me I was being a disgrace to the family, and my brother slapped and hit me. But the bruises didn't matter. I wanted to live for Jesus. My mom told me to stop going to church. I didn't want to displease my mom, but I was facing a unique dilemma. I wanted to please God, but that meant disappointing my mom. But I chose to please God, and God helped me keep the right attitude toward my family, and I told her I'm, going, I'm not going to stop. I feel God at that church, not at the mosque. Every day since then, my mom would call me every name in the book. In Arabic and in English, she would say, you're not my child. You're not part of this family. It hurt, but I knew the devil was just trying to stop me. My family thought that they would stop me from going to church by sending me overseas to Jordan. Not once, but twice. It was hard at first, and I felt so alone, and I thought to myself, why not just give up? Just when I thought I was alone, I wasn't. God was with me, and he was stirring me up. Something inside of me was burning. Every chance I would get to reach out to someone overseas, I did. I wasn't afraid anymore. Nothing could stop me. My cousin found out I was telling people about God, and he told me I have to choose between him and God. And if I chose God, he told me to stop Talk to, to, uh, talking to him. I said, that's fine. I choose God. So he sent me back to America. I thought the struggle was over since my family found out I was going to church. I was wrong. It was worse. Next, my sisters turned their backs on me. I, I got hit even more, spit on every day. I got mocked daily. They would say, what is your God going to do to help you? I prayed every day for God to help me, strengthen me, and to, to help my family understand why I wanted to serve him. Then, on August 20th, 2010, 2010, my brother was shot and killed. It hurt my family very much. It made my mom a very angry person. She blamed his whole death on me and would often ask, why couldn't God take you instead of him? He was my son. You're nothing to me. On the inside, I was hurting and angry, but I, I didn't let it bother me. I kept fighting, and I, I didn't understand why I was getting blamed for my brother's death. My mom was getting angrier daily, as she would go days without talking to me, and until one day she came into my room, looked at me in the eye, and said, you know what? I pray that something bad happens to you every time you leave. I wondered who would say that to their daughter. It was driving me crazy every day, and the pressure got to me. I failed God. I was so angry with myself that I turned to the world for answers. Once my family saw that, they all started talking to me and accepted me again. My mom asked me to get married for money because it would help her and my family. I was pleasing everyone else but God. I didn't care how much my mom hurt me. I just wanted to feel loved and appreciated, so I got married. It was a bad decision. I was miserable the whole time. 
But even when I did get married, nothing seemed to change with my mom or my sisters. I was still the odd one. And that's when I knew I was never going to fit in with my family. I was different from then on. And I was different from them. I'm a child of God who had to get back up and step up because if I wasn't praying for my family or the least, who would? I got myself recommitted to God and was stronger in Him than ever before. Now, the man writing this uh, says this interjecting, this is one of those tough stories where a teenage girl had to choose between obeying her mom and living as a Muslim or pursuing Jesus and living as a Christian. What do you do in a story like that? You do what Roseanne did. She was respectful to her mom, but she was hungry for God. And her hunger drew her closer to God, even if it pushed her away from her family. There are children in your kids' church and teenagers in your youth group whose families are not in church. One day, some of them will fight like Roseanne's battle. The fifth commandment doesn't call us to agree with our parents, but it does call us to honor them. Sometimes honor is a card on a holiday or birthday. I've seen the coffee mugs. I've done the math. It's strange that there could be three and a half billion number one moms in the world. I hope your parents are the best parents a child or a young or a grown could ask for. But even if you can't make it two minutes without fighting, honor them by praying for them. The power of God through prayer can do what no other power can. Rosen can tell you that, in fact, herself. And here's the closing paragraph. And, Andrea, you can come. At the time, quote, again, this, Roseanne, we're, we're reading from her. At the time I wrote this, I was continually praying for my family, even though I no longer lived with them. I kept in contact with them through phone calls and visits. On April 5th, 2015, I invited my mom and my sister to Easter service. I didn't know what the outcome would be. Would you stand with me? But during the service, God touched my mother's heart, and she was baptized in Jesus' name. She still needs the Holy Ghost, but I thank God for moving on my family. Hallelujah. Honoring your parents is always right. You may not be able to do that as you would with a believing Christian family. But there's always something that we can do to parents who haven't been the best to us. God is so good. He cares about every last one of us. And He cares about society so much that He made honoring mothers and fathers to be one of the ten great commandments to preserve us from self-destruction. God's laws are good. We may look at it as the law. It's the moral law. But that didn't stop with the new covenant. It's still in force in one way or another. God's laws are good. It's meant for good for you and for me. I want the praise team to come. We're going to sing a song, but I want you to just lift your hand. Maybe you're here tonight and you're like Roseanne. You may have some unpleasant memories of your parents or guardians who have mistreated you. Maybe it's time to to relieve yourself and forgive and let go of some of those things. It's time to bury that. It's time to come out of the prison cell. Amen. That bitterness will eat you up. That anger will kill you. It will bleed over in other relationships. You don't need that. Can we just pray right now? Are you going to ask God to forgive us and help us to forgive everyone, forgive everyone that, that harmed us and hurt us? Jesus, forgive me, O oh Lord God, for anything I've done wrong, anybody I've hurt, that I've offended, O oh Lord, I pray. From a heart of love, forgiving anyone that has hurt me. Almighty oh, God, cleanse us, O oh Lord, from all bitterness, 
Forgive us, O oh God, even as we forgive others that have trespassed against us. How wise you are, O oh Lord God, in your providence and giving us these commandments to live by. Help us to order our lives by it, Lord, and to please you and to be a blessing to ourselves. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name.